Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. That, that's it. This is a DLF podcast. Anyway, this week we're going to talk to Adam Hardstead, um, creator of the Fantasy and Theory podcast, as well as some other content you may have been aware of. Um, but I mentioned the podcast last week, so I thought thought that would I'd mention it again. Anyway, let's talk to Adam, see if he can tell us how to play Dynasty, or at least how he plays Dynasty and the parts of it that we can steal to do better ourselves. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn once. Hello, Adam. How do you play Dynasty? That's how I'm going to start it. That terrible, like, fake mock cheerfulness. That's how we start. Uh, on Flea Flicker, if at all possible. But I will play MFL or Sleeper if I am forced to. Yeah, you just you just completely preempted a question that I thought would be a fun and unexpected segue. You're literally the only person I ever hear, and I have a relatively small bubble, to be fair, talk about Flea Flicker, but I was re-listening to the Fantasy and Theory podcast, and I remember you, talking, you talked about it at length with Matt Harmon, I think it was. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Adam's the other guy who recognizes that's by far the most superior platform. By far. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, MFL uh, is fantasy football by way of GeoCities. Yes. Uh, I think last <laughs> updated in, in 2003. And mad respect for the customizability. Uh, yes. It's just so hard to navigate. And it's so hard to get, like, to get new people into. Um, I play Dynasty for the same reason I follow football. And it's really just for the stories um, and for that shared experience. And so anything that kind of foregrounds that sort of history is going to be pretty good in my book. Yeah, you described yourself as a league's historian at one point in one of those episodes. And I thought that's a nice way of looking at it. I like being able to look back at that stuff. I can't say I'm much of a league historian or an NFL historian, but um, I enjoy the idea. Exactly. It's just, um, anyway, it doesn't make you tear your head. But anyway, we're getting into it. I don't know why. Um, I th- it's probably just a product of people use what they're used to using right. the core base. Path dependence. But you can play for free is the other thing on Flea mm-hmm. Flicker, which I used to get thrown at me as a negative. When I first got on Twitter, I used to ask about it. And people were like, well, if you're playing free leagues, you get people that don't take it seriously or quit by week three. And I was like, yeah, but that's why you win so often. It's awesome. <laughs> I honestly so I don't my buy free that leagues either. are tougher than my pay leagues. Some of them. I mean, it, depends, it really just yeah. depends on, on what they're playing for. I've been playing with the same group of guys. Uh, I've been playing fantasy with them for over 20 years now. I've been playing dynasty with them since 2007. That was our first season together. We've been on flea flicker that whole time and it's competitive league. It's a tough league. Um, like there's stuff that, that I'll do in like the football guy staff league that I don't know that would necessarily fly in my home free league. Yeah. I, I don't really love money I, as, as a measure of like how invested people are. Like it's, it's a, it's a bad proxy. It's remarkably um, unreliable. Uh, it's right. like the NFL actually, but um, didn't mean to get into that too deep. I just find it like, I would really enjoy playing on flea flicker instead of MFL, but that's, that's where a good league is playing with people that you enjoy to your point. Yeah. Having played with 17 people and that's where everyone I know wants to play, or at least where they set up their league. So yeah. Um, that's where I end up being, but uh, obviously, uh, pushing me off the point expertly there that's not really what i was talking about but i think it is fascinating um but it's really about how you try and make decisions in dynasty like uh primarily uh dynasty or a redraft player would you say you're easily half and half at this 
Oh, I'm far and away mostly dynasty. I do one redraft a year. I do the football guy staff league and I just do it so that I can beat them and then make fun of them that they're getting their asses kicked by the dynasty guy. That was um, it. I remember. Yeah. Uh, I don't do DFS. We did a, a in-house staff DFS contest where like you get points based on your finish week to week. And I did that one year. And I think I came in second to just to give them a hard time that they were getting their butts kicked by the dynasty guy. Dynasty guy. Right. Yeah. So, um, so why dynasty? Why dynasty over redraft? Is it just a product of how you started again? I don't think so. Dynasty no, I started in, I started in um, actually in the sporting news had an ultimate salary cap contest that is probably mm-hmm. pretty analogous to DFS. Um, in that like you can have any player and all the players have a salary and it it was your score would carry over from week to week so it's a it's a season-long league but it plays like a bunch of weekly dfs leagues um, and that yeah. was actually my start back in 2001 2002 somewhere in there um, 2002 2003 um, but then i got into keeper and then i started dynasty 2007 um, but like i said i i'm kind of a storyteller um, at heart and dynasty is the format that has the good stories you know it's it's fantasy football is something i do with my friends to kind of mark the time and to um create this shared experience that keeps binding us together throughout the years as we as we go our separate ways through our lives um and dynasty does that way better than redraft i think um and also i think it's from a puzzle aspect it's a more interesting puzzle because um, you don't get the answers until years later. And by the time you get them, you don't know if they're still the same answers. You know, the, in 2014, there was discussion, should you build around running backs or wide receivers? By 2017, it's clear, oh, hey, we should be building about, around wide receivers. By the time you realize that, that's not true anymore. By 2017, you needed to be building around running backs. So it's a fun one where, like, there is no right or wrong or or to such extent as there is right and wrong we just there's no way of us knowing what that is um whereas in redraft i think you can more clearly say that like that was the wrong thing to do maybe it works out for you maybe it doesn't but i think the answers are a little bit more knowable obviously until i disagree there's a right way and a wrong way to play dynasty and i'm right and everyone else is wrong just want to put that psa in there but how do you go about figuring out that puzzle obviously it's an incredibly broad question like the first one i asked yeah, I'm always looking for areas of relative advantage. Um, I'm not going to try and beat people where they're strong because honestly, it's hard work and I'm lazy. Um, it's it's a ton of work to outscout Matt Waldman. I, I don't mm. know if I'd be capable of it. Um, maybe. I don't know. But that kind of investment, I have no interest in that kind of investment. But I don't need to outscout Matt Waldman because you know what? He publishes his results every year. I can just spend... 22 bucks and let him do all of that work for me and i have to do none of it and that's fantastic um so areas where i find i have more of an advantage um i think dispassionately evaluating risk um, i'm pretty good at and i say a lot on twitter that dynasty really is a game of who does the best job evaluating risk um and a good example of this was um josh gordon um and i got i took a lot of heat Um, when Josh Gordon was having his 1,600-yard year with Cleveland because I had him lower than consensus. Consensus had him in that top tier. And I kept saying, you know, everybody's worried about the injured guys. But the reality is that past suspensions predict future suspensions way better than past injuries predict future injuries. And they're not valuing the downside risk here. They're absolutely right about the upside, but a guy's value is 
you know, what's his value if he achieves this scenario and what are the odds he hits that scenario? And, and Gordon, if he managed to stay on the good side of Roger Goodell would have been an incredibly unbelievably valuable asset. Um, but the odds of him staying on the right side of the um, collective bargaining agreement were, were much lower than, than he was being valued at. Um, and that was one where, you know, I, I came out pretty well on that call. There's other calls I've made. Um, I was, instead of being in on Josh Gordon, I was in on Percy Harvin. That call obviously did not work out for me. Um, but over a long enough timeline, you create a profile with all of these different calls. And if you're right more often than you're wrong, you're going to be a winning dynasty player. Uh, so I try to, I try to mostly focus on areas where I can make risk reward calls and um, find situations where maybe somebody isn't really um, factoring in a downside scenario or, or they're not giving enough credence or enough weight to certain possibilities. Um, and then I can make arbitrage plays there. And um, I'm usually, as I mentioned earlier, I'm just extraordinarily lazy. So I'm just looking for the easiest edges possible. Um, I like buying injured players just because I know that we immediately knee-jerk react to injuries a lot of time. Not for every player, but a lot of times you'll see a guy's value just free fall right after an injury. And we have like 10 years of history looking at that, that whenever that happens, two months later, it's going to rebound, you know, most of the way back to where it was in the first place. Um, so you can just buy them in the free fall and then sell them two months later. And that's free profit. You don't even have to think about it, which is good because thinking is hard. Do you make positional adjustments in that? An injured running back versus an injured wide receiver, are you more likely to buy one versus the other? Another way of saying it is there a prioritization to this? Because we have several injured players right now, and one of the things I keep harping on in Dynasty, a lot of Dynasty content says buy this player, trade for that player, when the reality of playing in a league, or even 10 leagues, to be honest with you, unless you're playing in a serious volume, is you only have so much value to spend. And depending on right. your league, one player is easier to trade for than the other, depending <laughs> on who's in your league. So... How do you go about prioritizing who you would try to take that risk management bet on? Uh, so I think positions wildly overrated in Dynasty, and I've looked at this a couple times. Um, by yeah. and large, talented players are going to produce. Um, I actually looked at it. So Pro Football Reference has a statistic called approximate value, and it says right there in the name. It's approximate value, but it's it's a very, very rough, quick and dirty estimate of like how good was this player. You know, you get a, a wide receiver with a career score of 100 AV, and you get a running back with a career score of 100 AV. And it's basically saying this wide receiver was roughly as good during his career as this running back was. Um, and you can compare quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, and it's all pretty position neutral. And I compared that to career fantasy value one time um, because my hypothesis was, in theory, um, standard scoring – um was was used in redraft and people said standard scoring was too running back heavy so they switched to ppr scoring in redraft so that wide receivers and running backs would be roughly equally valuable in redraft but wide receivers have longer careers so my hypothesis is that ppr scoring would make wide receivers more valuable than running backs in dynasty because they have longer careers they're as valuable on a year-to-year -year basis Similar value times more years equals more career value. So that was the hypothesis. And so then I started comparing 
career fantasy value versus uh, pro football references approximate value score. And like both positions convert like talent into fantasy value at virtually identical rates. It was shockingly close how similar their conversion rates were, which means if you have a running back and a wide receiver who ended their careers as roughly as good players as each other, they probably had roughly the same fantasy value. So like as an example, um, say you have Ricky Williams and um, who's a wide receiver who's roughly on par with Ricky Williams. Uh, I don't know, like a Jimmy Smith, right? Both really good players, you know, obviously very different career shapes, um, obviously very different types of players. Um, but I would say that Ricky Williams was about as good of a running back as Jimmy Smith was of a wide receiver. And you get pairs like that, and they probably had the same fantasy value over the course of their careers. Uh, so for the most part, I'm not looking running back, wide receiver. I just want the best players I can get. Um, in terms of who I'm targeting, I kind of just target indiscriminately, and I see who I can get a discount on. You know, if a player gets hurt, um, as you were saying, markets are, are local. Even if the entire community is discounting a guy, if the guy in my league is like, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm totally on the buy injured train too. I'm not giving you any discount. Okay, well, then I'll try someone else. It's The nice thing is it's all completely discretionary unless it's your player. You, you can always choose to buy or sell. You can check the price, and then once you have that information, decide what you want to do with it. Damn, I was actually hoping to, I was actually hoping that would be a thing. I must have missed that. Um, one of the things I did over the last two years is actually start to smooth the positions together because the edge is still at wide receiver in terms of length of career. But if well, everything is sample bias, as someone once said famously on Twitter, if you filter down to players that produce the most fantasy relevant seasons, like two top twelve seasons, the edge is much smaller than you would think between running back and wide receiver, and it's definitely over it or correctly at best adjusted for by ADP and fantasy valuation at this point. So, oh, well, there's my, there's my moment gone. I've, anyway, um, um, I've found too, when I've worked on aging. Um, so basically a running back has about as much career remaining as a wide receiver yes. who's about two and a half years older. So a 24 year old running back on average has about as much career remaining as a 26 and a half year old receiver, a little bit more career remaining than a 27 year old receiver, a little bit less than a 26 year old receiver. And that's true until you get up to the extremes when players are in their thirties and then that can change. But that's my quick rule of thumb where like, if you're trading a 24 year old running back for a 27 year old wide receiver, you're not extending your window at all in a vacuum obviously if you get the better player then go for it um but just in terms of if moving from running back to wide receiver you're not like reducing the volatility of your build um or extending your window or anything that those are roughly equivalent um from an aging perspective two things that you mentioned quite often and i agree with uh, for a start I, I think that's what i'm trying to talk about at uh, even lazier and worse ways that the market the value of running back changes much more drastically. So that two and a half year age gap is more than accounted for, or two and a half years valuation gap. In terms of age, for example, if you look at the top 12 running backs in Dynasty from year over year, it's highly volatile, whereas wide receiver is much more stable. It's the way, one of the ways Dynasty Trade Calculator tries to show it in their... Uh, I don't know why, well, actually, I know exactly why, but I'm always referring to things I heard on Twitter as if that's their source, because that's just literally all I read these days. Um what's value and what's better you refer to two football stats right there measuring how much value or who is better or worse 
but talk about being lazy. I'm not importing more stats. I'm at my max column length. I think I get evicted uh, from my Patreon if I start adding any more any more columns. So I'm I'm not I'm not going to do that. And um, but what's it trying to measure? So I hate the whole like four letter acronym brigade. You know, I feel like everybody's introducing new. Oh, here's my brand new stat that I just invented. You know, QLZF. QLZF. It's quarterback laser focus, whatever. I don't know, whatever. Everybody's coming up with new things every day and we don't need that. It just adds to the noise. It makes it harder to follow. Um, if you wanted to invent a new acronym, your time was 10 years ago. You missed the boat. Sorry about that, everybody. Stop trying, please. Uh, so when I say value, I, I have my own homebrew stat. Um, I'm just not going to sign a four letter acronym to it because people don't care about the acronym. They just care about you know, like most people are talking about fantasy football conversationally, and that's what they care about is how valuable a guy is. I calculate value as points per game minus a waiver wire replacement point per game times games played. So if a guy scores 15 points per game and I could get eight points per game off the waiver wire, right? He's giving me a seven point weekly advantage. If he plays eight weeks, then I get seven times eight points of value. Right, I get that that fifty six points of value, and that's his value for the year. Um, and you can do that by position. And it, there's a lot of math involved in terms of how I'm calculating waiver wire replacement. Um, back when MFL tens and MFL twenty fives were a thing, um, were a huge thing, um, kind of before underdog took off. I actually went through a bunch of actively managed MFL ten and MFL twenty five leagues, and I said like. What is actual replacement level? Like the guy who is doing right. the absolute worst of anybody in this league at a position, what are they getting, right? If everything goes wrong, the guy where everything falls apart and all the wheels fell off, he's still getting eight points per game out of the running back spot. Um, so that's how I calculated the waiver replacement. And then I have spreadsheets um, there. I've shared them. Um, I can tweet links to them again on Twitter, but they're open. Anybody's sure. welcome to just grab them. They're on Google Sheets. Um, and it's got fantasy value, um, as I'm measuring it here, from 1985 to theoretically current, but I'm bad at updating it. So it's probably only through 2021 at this point. Um, and it's all like queryable. And most of the time I'm working on aging patterns, I'm working off of that. And I can compare like, okay, Justin Jefferson has X points of value through his first two seasons. Here are the most comparable receivers who had however much value through their first two seasons here's how they've aged from there um and and so those are the sheets i use for that um but i'm big on open data so those are you break it down to points per game values points per game over points per game differential to whatever baseline over time right. presumably and better is more points per game in a season that that guy's better. well yeah and it's there's two ways you can do it is you can do more points per game over a shorter span or you could do fewer points per game over mm -hmm. a longer span but the reality is that Decisions are not made on a season-by-season -season basis. They're made on a game-by-game -game basis. If you have a player and he gets hurt, you're not taking a zero in the games he's out. He's not locked into your lineup until the end of time. You just get a replacement. Um, if you have one on your roster, great. If not, there's that freely available waiver wire replacement level. You're guaranteed at least that many points. If a guy's not outscoring that baseline, he's not valuable at all. He's he's pointless. He's He's worthless, useless from a redraft perspective. Um, just because he's not outscoring what you could have gotten off of the waiver wire for whatever.
And yeah, like I said, I just, I hate when people are like coming up with acronyms and obscuring what they really want to talk about. Cause that's at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about is how valuable is this guy? How much did this guy contribute to you winning games, to you winning championships? Um, and so when I say value, that's kind of what I mean, but that's how I'm measuring and estimating it. No, I agree. I, I think that's why I always tend to focus on definitions. If we're defining value as something other than that, then we're having different conversations. And so it's, right. I find it useful to ask. Injuries versus suspensions. That's an interesting point. I don't hear a lot talked about a lot. Do you, and again, probably it's case by case. Uh, that would make the most sense. But do you think injuries and suspensions are equally risky? You said suspensions are more predictive, but in terms of... Yeah, it's everything's on a case-by-case basis. And that's what I say, where, like, Dynasty is a game of who can best value the risk. Um, so the, in, the suspensions predict suspensions more than injuries predict injuries. That was true with the 2013 CBA. Today's NFL is getting more and more, um, I don't know, permissive of, but I guess less turned off by um, recreational drugs. Um, and I think we're mm-hmm. going to continue to see where like that's less, if a guy gets busted for weed, it's probably going to be less of a hindrance to their play. And also you have to understand like what the the substances of abuse policy was. And so Le'Veon Bell wound up in stage two or three of the substance abuse policy. And everybody's like, oh, Le'Veon Bell is as risky as Josh Gordon. And I said, you have to look at how they got there. So there's two ways to get, I mean, the way to get into stage three or whatever it was, I wrote a whole article breaking down what the policy was and how to get there. But basically the way to get to the stage they were at is you have to, fail a test while you're already in one of the lesser stages. Um, When you know the tests are going to be coming every month, um, you know you're getting multiple tests a month. So if you're failing a test in that stage, you have a serious drug problem, right? This is a, you know that it's coming and you can't stop. Um, Because the NFL substance abuse policy was not designed to catch people who are doing drugs. By some estimates, half or two thirds of NFL players are using recreational drugs during the season. But the policy is extremely well telegraphed, so you beat one test in the offseason, and after that, they're not going to test you again. Do drugs all you want, they're never going to catch you. The, te- the, the policy is designed to, to catch the people who can't stop for that one telegraph test and have a genuine problem. Le'Veon Bell did not get to stage three through that route. He got to stage three because he and LeGarrette Blunt were hotboxing up a car, and an officer rolled by, tapped on the window, said whatever he never failed a test and so when josh gordon josh gordon um i looked at his history back to high school and he had never gone 12 months without a drug related incident from high school through like i think it took him like six years in the nfl and then he made it 15 months without an incident but he's got a consistent pattern of failing whereas Le'Veon bell okay Hotboxing up a car on a public street, that's a bad decision. But it doesn't show that like he's not going to be able to beat the tests in the future. And that's what he needs to do to avoid running foul of the policy. So Le'Veon Bell, when he was in stage three of the um, substances of abuse program, I was not steering away from him. And I was not telling people who followed me to steer away from him. I was saying, this is probably, I mean, anything can happen. But I don't think he's that risky from a suspension standpoint. I don't think that that's what we need to be worrying about here for him, for Josh Gordon, for Justin Blackman. It's a completely different, you know, Martavis Bryant. It's a completely different discussion because of how they got where they are. Um, And, and history 
bore that out. I mean, Le'Veon Bell obviously busted later on for completely different reasons. But that was one where uh, I say dynasty is about valuing risk. I think in that case, I managed to value those risks properly um, and had an advantage. But it's not, I wish there were shortcuts because I, I keep mentioning, I am just really, really lazy. Um, and I want to do the least amount of work humanly possible. Um, but sometimes there's really no shortcut beyond just understanding the situation and the specifics of it and being able to reason through um, what's going to happen from there. Like usually in February, March, April, I'm not making any consequential decisions because uh, because all my values and everything, they're, they're all super soft at this time of year. Um, I, I don't watch college football at all. So I don't the draft to me is like a key and peel sketch where they're just like saying random names. Um, <laughs> and then after the draft, I meant to mute myself again, but this is funny. <laughs> <Carry on. laughs> uh, yeah. And then after the draft, like I start to like learn some of the names. Oh, okay. Apparently that's a receiver. He went like eighth overall. He must be pretty good. Okay, cool. Sure. Yeah. I've, I've heard the name Bijan Robinson. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I don't know if I've ever heard it spoken. I've just seen it. Uh, typed out on Twitter. Um, yep, yep, that's in a couple one-on-one this year. Okay, there we go. Yeah, uh, that's what go. I hear. Um, in a couple months, I'll probably know enough about these players. In this case, enough is basically where they were drafted, and that's about it. Um, but yeah, I like. Um, I kind of like having a break from fantasy football. I love fantasy football, but one thing I found out about it over the years is the more I play it, the less I like it. So no, I, like I actually think like this breaks. is. I think this is actually extremely relevant. Um, I mean, I, I call my. Uh, we do a weekly stream called the Dynasty Grind, and before that, I just referred to my YouTube channel as the Dynasty Grind because I I'm not good at coming up with names, and I don't want to come up with more names in that one. And um, but very quickly, I found like there's something called grind set and grind mentality, and that's not. I gr I do this because I enjoy it. Like this is my free time. I grind fantasy because I'm taking a break from the stuff that's actually difficult and stressful in my life do not invest more time that is fun in fantasy football not just because right. it's meant to be easy we're going well dynasty is a lot easier than people make it but also because it's meant to be fun if you're doing something for dynasty or fantasy and it's not fun then you should just stop doing it jeff miller actually one of the i think he was one of the founders of dlf he wrote an article a year or two a year ago something like that and the literal basis of it was that uh, but basically what you said about Matt Harmon there, it's like I do well in Dynasty by just taking all the information that that guy's doing and then using it. And it was a really funny article about how easy Dynasty is relative to how people make it. And I think it's a really important point because it goes to a lot of different stuff. But one, how you make common mistakes or make bad risk management decisions like trying to create a holistic process or working too hard at it. And you can lose sight of the fact that honestly, we don't know the future and you're just trying to make reasonable decisions in individual contextual situations. So from the grind and the fantasy mindset to the ecological fallacy, I guess, right now it's rookie season. And one of the things I've been starting to incorporate more and more is pointing out that there is no uh, solution. Um, and what most of the best people that I find or talk to do is they find things that they do think has some signal or good players have in common, but ultimately it comes down to looking for common mistakes other people make and then looking for something you can just ride as a hobby horse. I like age adjusted production. I like players who outperform situations. I like people, players who are somewhat smaller than the ideal quote unquote NFL um, 
player because I think commonly we misassociate talent to size and I, I just don't think it works like that. And so those tend to be the things I go looking for outside of what a basic production model, which is anyone's production models as good as anyone else's do. Um, and I think most of the common mistakes come down to, I think, as I understand it, and I didn't understand it, so you're going to have to correct me, what you are basically talking about with the ecological fallacy in that episode of your podcast, trying to apply uh, general rules to individual players. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I told you I do one redraft league a year. Uh, it's the Football Guy Staff League. I am the back-to-back -back champion in that. My prep process for redraft, literally, the day of the draft, I will wake up, I will download Football Guy's Draft Dominator, and I will sync it to my league. I will kind of look at um, a lot of times I have to like familiarize myself with like who's in new situations and whatnot, like what coaches have changed. And and because Dynasty, I'm more looking at players. I'm not looking at situations so much. Um, and then I largely just draft off of ADP. Um, and it's people complicate it more than that. Um, and they're like, oh, ADP doesn't work in sharp leagues. It actually works better in sharp leagues because you get guys who fall significantly past their ADP. People whereas in more, right, right, in more casual leagues, you might get a guy a half round past ADP. Whereas in expert leagues, quote unquote expert leagues, you'll get a guy a round and a half past ADP. And it's like they're giving you free draft picks. They're like, I will yeah. trade my third rounder for your fourth rounder. Okay. I mean, it may work out. It may not work out. But you make a lot of those trades. I'm not better at fantasy football than the other guys on football guys staff. But if you give me those extra picks, I can beat them for sure. And I completely agree that people just, they overcomplicate it. Or I think there's this desire to like, I want to win because of me. I think there's kind of like this pride thing where like, I want to be the one who makes a call. I want to look at a player and say, I think that player is going to be a star and have that player be a star. And I saw it and other people didn't. Whereas when I just draft off ADP, Sigmund always jokes that I'm letting other people, I'm letting the rest of the league draft my team. And I say, yeah, but the rest of the league drafts me a really good team. And I'm okay with that. I'll beat you with the team that you draft for me. I don't care how I win. I, I, I'm happy to well, win. Another way of looking at it is you're just not thinking you're the smartest person in the room in every room you walk into. If you want to look at it in a positive light, you're just accepting that may maybe the group knows something every now and again. No, right. I, yeah. I actually intentionally make that mistake in rookie drafts sometimes because I want to have my fun and eat it too. Totally. And I just enjoy that, man. Yeah. But one of the things I've found in leagues where people are maybe quote-unquote experts is like a mistake I made was drafting David Bell last year at the end of the first round in a 14-team league, I think it was. But the thing is, I knew it was a mistake. I'm trying to follow ADP. I don't want to draft a player higher than I have to. So I offered everyone all the way back to the 205, like, just give me a third-round pick and you can come up and get Christian Watson. And literally none of them would do it. So I took David Bell because I'm going to I'm gonna have my fun. I had a lot of fun. The pain is fun for me too. And someone else got Christian Watson. And I should take a lot of flack for that. And I'm ready for it because literally everyone seven picks behind me made the exact same mistake. Christian Watson mm -hmm. would have cost you a third round pick and none of you are willing to do it. And like, again, when you're in a league where everyone wants to, yeah, like you say, like you can find a lot of edges just by not being that guy. I'm willing to be that guy. I don't, I, I don't, so, I, yeah, it still I'm, hurts, but I still do I'm it. Big on that. <laughs> 
drafting on draft capital. And so I wind up and it's, it's a meme. Um, people will joke that I have a type, you know, who's the guy who drafted John Ross in the rookie drafts. It was me. Right, who's right. the guy who drafted Philly Dorsett, Philip Dorsett. It was me, Henry Ruggs. It was me, you know, and they're making jokes and I kind of had a bad run, but it's, it's streaky. Random stuff is streaky. Now, who were the last two picks in that vein? Jalen Waddle, Christian Watson. It's a lot more fun now, right? Like I, when I took Jalen Waddle, somebody said, oh, hey, you're the guy who took Ruggs and Ross and Dorsett. Clearly you have a type. You know, when I took Christian Watson, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Adam's got a type. Um, but but do, I do think there's still some edge in evaluation. I actually want to get to this a little bit, so I don't want to belabor the point. But like Dorsett and Treble, I, I think there are some higher risks that we can see coming, especially when it comes to point per game splits and production trends. But Waddle was one that I, I'd already learned enough to know I didn't know he was bad. He just didn't play enough. He had one good year and one year where he wasn't so good and he didn't play outside of that. So I knew enough to go, okay, well, he's probably good, but I'm not probably going to take that bet. So again, in rookie drafts, I like to take, like I spend all this time, I like to have my fun. And and I adjust for it. Another part uh, of how I've started to play Dynasty is I adjust by, by making up for it afterwards. Like there's a Brandon Ayuk or a Jalen Waddle now and again who didn't play enough. I didn't know, so I wasn't going to go draft them in a rookie draft. And then when they're good, I just like them more than everyone else intentionally. Like I'm liking this player too much to try and make up for the fact. And it tends to work because the market is also the market. My friends in leagues are... Uh, Despite when they are when they do better than me, they're also slower to accept they were right. Is another way of looking at it. Like they got Brandon Ayuk and Waddle right, and I got them wrong. But then they let me trade for them at a higher value because they still knew there was some risk. Where I'm they're, like, they're no, you just have to go in on what you are right on. Just and so at yeah, this point, too much like, inertia. I always call that inertia. Where like if you how strongly you anchor to your initial evaluation. Right. Yes. Like it's like a big boulder. It takes a lot of energy to get that boulder moving. Um, and some people have very high inertia rankings where like this is my take on a guy. If he plays really well, I'll move him up, but I'm only going to move him up a little bit. And then other people have low inertia rankings where like this is my take on a guy. Oh, he had one good game. He's now my new 1.01. Um, and right. you kind of want to be somewhere in the middle. But I tend to think that people tend to have a little bit too much inertia where like Patrick Mahomes, I was able to get him in a league after like three or four good games um, because my league mate just wasn't willing to trust those, wasn't willing enough. He, you know, he's like, it's only three or four games. I can't move him up too much based on that. But like we saw enough in those three or four games in my mind, like he's got to be high. You, you got to move him up a ton. Um, so yeah, it's it's about finding the right. I, actually, uh, I didn't get that wrong a little bit. Brandon Ayuk went up way too far. There is, there is a range of where everyone... Because Brandon Ayuk's hype was entirely based on the fact that Debo Samuel wasn't good because they don't like smaller wide receivers that don't play exactly like Calvin Johnson or they or at least people in my ranks that I check and in my leagues didn't. And he went up too far and I just ended up with a lot of Debo Samuel instead. But yeah, like you say, like we say, like you said, who cares? Um, individual uh, context is always king uh, to judging one of these things. But anyway, I, I've gone off way off, uh, way off even the pretend show sheet that I wrote for myself. So I'm moving back. Um, ADP changes over time is my next note, and that could come up in a, a variety of ways. Something you talked about uh, on the dynasty, fantasy and theory. I almost called it dynasty and theory, but fantasy and theory podcast was um, how you follow ADP, like you were just saying, but also um, how redraft ADP was better by and large than dynasty ADP 
following DLS ADP since 2014, I've actually found it improved, uh, especially in terms of predicting um, value over time. And I just do it by draft round increases and decreases, to be honest with you, not anything as mathy as you do, um, which may be more accurate. But have you found any changes over time? Because one of the things, and again, I'm just monologuing at this point, that I did want to circle back. So if I say it, maybe I won't forget. Was you talking about the ways of where you want to be if you could see three years into the future? You know, by 2017, it was running back, not wide receiver. But I actually find there's some potential that we could see that coming ahead of time in that wide receiver and running backs do tend to enter into the league in ways that tends to be wide receivers for a while than running backs for a while. And new draft classes change it. I don't know whether it's because the NFL deems it to be so. Like they're like, okay, we're going to go get running backs right now, or whether it's available talent. I still think that's very much, um, you know, very much beyond me as someone to describe. I think people underestimate how streaky randomness really is, like a genuine randomness. You're going to get runs. Um, Yeah, I agree. DLF ADP. So a lot of my, you're you're referring to my podcast. A lot of these episodes are five years old. Yeah. And yet still good, by the way. Still good, so, absolutely. I like the how you did stuff because then I don't have to ever redo it ever again. Do it once, <laughs> do it well, and then it's done. Um, I think DLF ADP was Come slow right. and it's gotten faster. It it yes, it had too much inertia, way too much inertia 10 years ago. Um, but it was a lot better than the alternative, because the alternative was nothing at all. There was no consensus people would talk about like oh what's the community consensus but nobody had any idea what the community consensus was there just was nothing um and people are basically you know talking outside of their mouth when they're talking about consensus the consensus is whatever they need it to be to make this point um and so dlf adp came along and um it was the first time anybody had really quantified dynasty consensus in a rigorous way and that was really good um but it was too slow too much inertia it wasn't updating quickly enough it has gotten a lot quicker and also we have gotten um two new resources in fantasy calc and keep trade cut i was going to ask you about those that are i like a lot they are incredibly quick to update to new information um possibly too quick i don't know i need to i need to dig more into them but i tend to be pretty quick to update and so i like those because those kind of match me where like i will if i see three good games from a guy like patrick mahomes i will shoot him up my board i have no compunction about that i would rather be wrong because um i believed in a guy on scant evidence and it turned out i was wrong than be wrong because i didn't believe in a guy because the evidence was too scant and i turned out to be wrong um I think in general, the edge lies in being a bit more aggressive. And years from now, that could change. If everybody starts being a bit more aggressive, the edge will probably be in being conservative. But my general feel of the state of dynasty today is that the, the edge tends to lie with those who are more aggressive. And I don't think it's a huge edge, but I think it's a non-trivial edge um, where mm-hmm. for the moment... Um, the, 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 if you know nothing else about a move, the play is to, um, push harder and, and, and take bigger risks. No, I think that's important. I'm going to drop a name to you and the listeners again. He came on the podcast. It's at underscore Jason Stein on Twitter. And I like people who do a variety of different things and who are funny, but I also particularly like people that are first to investigate something like they're just excited to play with something new instead of. I can't remember the story, but it's 
it's a historical one about the how we think something's impossible and stupid and we don't like it and then suddenly it's obvious and everyone knew it for sure and oh, that's so i like people are more yeah that's, that's I, I one like... of my favorites i i think the process okay. of acceptance will go through the usual four stages um okay. this is like this is wrong it's um true but trivial and then i knew it all along yeah there it's you a go. great quote i love it i love that's it one. Um, anyway, he, he's one of the first people I saw, and he does stock market type stuff, or at least he's aware of it. And he just wanted to use, to use some of that knowledge on value in general in Dynasty. And so, like, he writes up this series for Dynasty nerds trying to apply, like, this stock market valuation uh, equation to keep trade cut. It's really interesting. I, again, I'm not selling it as it's got all the answers, but I like the fact he was one of the first to accept the idea that we could get a better measure of it in Dynasty outside of DLF ADP. And he's just trying to make content that he thought would be interesting. And I liked him a lot. Um, and it's a pretty good article. So I'm going to throw that out to anyone. I was going to ask you about Keep Trade Cut because I find mixed opinions. I find people doing that exact uh, formula of the quote. It's stupid. It doesn't work. Uh, and already on the I knew it all along idea. Um, but it does adjust relatively quickly, even to mundane news on a daily basis. So it's fairly interesting. Do you find yourself leaning on that a little bit, even more than ADP or... Yeah, I think everything's got its pros and cons. Uh, to the point that Jay Stein, oh, he is a uh, football guy now, I believe. I think we just added oh, him. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, I'm I think we just Sorry. added him like a month ago. Good. Um, Bad time. So hype represents. Not the Dynasty Nerds wasn't good enough, but. No, you know. absolutely not. I'm just saying I got I to gotta represent the brand right now. Um, I'm wearing my, <laughs> I don't know if you saw, I'm wearing my football guy's shirt. Um, I, I like Keep Trade Cut. I, there's. I don't know if you follow, um, I don't know how it's pronounced, Adeko, A-D-E-I-K-O on Twitter. Um, he did a lot of comparisons between Keep Trade Cut and Fantasy Calc. Um, and I do think that, I don't think Keep Trade Cut is necessarily the best um, representative of like actual trade value and actual leagues. Um, I think it has a bias. I know it's off on super flex value at quarterback. I, right. I, from what I can find, people drastically don't understand how valuable quarterback is in Superflex, but I don't know Superflex, why. I, I, I kind of want to get into some Superflex leagues because I feel like I see all the time people just have no idea how valuable quarterbacks are in that format. To, I think no. it's in one of those early stages where like there's still some really easy edges to still be had there. Um, but yeah, keep trade cut. I, I think it overrates the younger players. Um, and it underrates like current producers, like guys like Austin Eckler, who, yeah, he's older. Yeah, there's the issues, but it's the middle of the season and the dude's giving you like a nine point per game advantage at the position. You're not going to get Austin Eckler as cheaply as keep trade cut is going to say you're going to be able to get Austin Eckler. That's no. just not going to happen because whoever has Austin Eckler is relying on him. They're not going to give him up. Um, I think fantasy Especially at this point in the year. No, no one's interested in running backs right now. Well, right. Yeah, this year, this year, at this point of the year, Austin Eckler probably will be around where Keep Trade Cut has him because Keep Trade Cut tends to be really low on the older players. And in, um, you know, like underwear Olympics season, um, nobody wants the old guys. Um, but like during the season, I think Keep Trade Cut tends to underrate running backs, tends to underrate older players. I think Fantasy Calc will give you a much truer estimate of what you can actually get for a guy in your league um but i like i like keep trade cut as like an aspirational thing where like okay this isn't actually his consensus value but like we just like the young guys and i love that i if i'm going to make a mistake i'd rather make a mistake leaning towards youth because i feel like it gives you more outs 
right? Like you yeah, have this. Well, you just you just have more time. Mistakes is so much longer, right? Like mm-hmm. oh, I screwed that up. I've got to fix it in the next three years. Whereas if you trade away promising youth for an old player like like um, Lenny Fournette, and then Fournette is kind of tanking, and you're like, oh, well, I made a mistake. I have like three months to fix it. Um, yeah. You know, That's why like, most teams should make most decisions as if they're building rather than they're winning because right. ultimately can end up in a rebuild a lot quicker than you can't going the other way. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So like as an, as a aspirational thing, I feel like um, keep trade cut. What's the quote? All models are wrong. Some models are useful um, and keep trade cut is wrong but I think it's wrong in a way that is often useful. Um, Whereas I think fantasy calc is probably right. That's probably the, in my opinion, probably the most accurate estimate of trade value Um, because it's based on actual trades Um, and it's going to have running backs higher. It's going to have old guys higher and that's going to reflect what's, what's really going to cost in leagues. Um, But as, as like an aspirational team building guide, um, I don't necessarily want to build with those values. Um, and I still like um, DLF ADP too, because I feel like you get the cleaner comparison from month to month in DLF ADP. Whereas in, in keep trade cut and in fantasy calc, like people are changing over different timescales. You know, somebody will have relevant news this week and then somebody else will have relevant news next week. And if you're comparing like their value from one week, to another like maybe you're only capturing one person's news or whatever um i like the whole like let's just take snapshots like discrete snapshots so all models are wrong um i think all three of those can be useful tools um i wouldn't entirely rely on any of them um it's all it's all um information that you can you can process and synthesize and do with as you see fit Right now, we're heading into an era where we have a lack of running back value, a lack of running backs who are below the age of 24 who are any good, a whole bunch of older guys who are very good, um, but entering especially that stage of danger levels for um, relative uh, potential to fix your roster if you trade into them or even continue to hold them on your roster. And also, interestingly, something I've been looking at lately, a relatively low um, number of breakouts at the tight end position. And I actually think we're due some of that. Do you find that due uh is what's overstating it in the extreme to what you were talking about with streakiness i do think we're in an era where we could see a rapid ascension of some teams if they're just willing to lean into the running back and tight end positions that have been hitting relatively poorly for an edge in fantasy or dynasty recently do you find any value to that kind of idea uh right now yeah, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing that at you because I didn't come up with the theory. <laughs> I was talking about this a lot in 2013 because um, it was kind of a similar situation where the running backs were either young or they were productive. There was nobody who was really bold. You had old and productive or young with maybe some promise. Um, and um, that kind of led to the whole 2014, 2015 idea that, oh, you just build around wide receivers because running backs are bad. No, running backs are not bad. The running backs currently in the NFL are bad. You know, we had this, um, and quarterback did the same thing, where we had from like 2000 to 2005, we just had tons of Hall of Famers enter the league, right? 2000, you extend it to 2006, get Matt Ryan. Um, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but like tons of guys who will at least get their name mentioned in the Hall of Fame without like people laughing you out the room. Um, 
from 2000 to 2006, we got a ton. From like 2007 to 2013, 2014, we had basically none. And so the quarter pack position just kept getting older and older and older and older and older because no good quarterbacks were coming into the NFL. And you could say like, oh, well, we're due for some good quarterbacks. We're due for some good quarterbacks. And eventually you would have been right. Right. Like after like eventually, yeah, saying, broken clock. Right. After eight straight years of saying that we're due for some good quarterbacks, like, yes, then you get your Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Like all of a sudden we're now in this huge glut. Um, um, Jalen Hurts, where just there's this massive rush of good quarterbacks all entering at the same time. Um, and I think that other positions operate like that too, where we just had, there was a long time where the, no good running backs entered the NFL. There just weren't that many good running backs. And then 2017 hit, which is the best running back class in NFL history. And when I say in NFL history, like I actually know the NFL history. I'm, I, I mean that like since 1920, the American Professional Football Association, APFA, like this is the best draft class. I mean, in 1920, they weren't holding a draft, but this is, I, I think, the best running back draft class in, in NFL history. And it's not like we were due for it. It's just it randomly happened. Um, and all of a sudden after that, now we have this huge glut of running backs who are insanely young and insanely productive. And now those that group is aging. And now we have a bunch of running backs who are old and productive again because it, it tends to go through. If we get a lot of good running backs coming in, then we're going to have a lot of good young running backs again. And if we don't, it could be another five years before we start getting um, a succession of classes that replenish the talent the same way that, that 2017 did. And that's why I always say I'm, I'm always just chasing talent. Um, if I think, I mean, last year, uh, it was widely considered a bad rookie class. But if you look at the draft capital spent, it was smashing records for the amount of draft capital spent at the wide receiver position. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Get me a ton of those wide receivers. Um, and then looking back, like that was that was the play. There were a lot of mm -hmm. good wide receivers in that class that you kind of want to be over invested in. Um, yeah, I, I don't really I don't really believe in like do. I don't, yeah, you it's know, not do. It might. It's going to happen eventually but there's no way of estimating when outside right. of right. some level of evaluation which is an interesting question with someone who doesn't rely on that and then and the reality is that like the nfl is going to run the ball if it went 20 years without any good running backs entering the league it's, it's not like ball. it's going to be like we're just going to pass 100 percent of the time no we're still going to run the ball we'll just do it with bad running backs Right. And so you'll have weird seasons where like bad running backs are all of a sudden running back 10 or whatever. Like that just happens usually when there's a dearth of talent. Um, and you can kind of take take advantage of that where like this is the time to be weak at running back and just roster a bunch of bad ones because situations ripe for a, a random bad ones to just be difference makers this year. Um I don't I, I don't really know what's <laughs> gonna happen, especially because I don't watch college and I don't know what's coming down down the pike and even if i did i think we're really bad at predicting um one year out let alone two three four years out you know are we looking at the incoming high school class and talking about oh yeah there's some really good running back prospects like uh, no it's a mess um uh, i know talk to some Devi guys that's actually not that far away from this yeah, <laughs> at this point yeah. we're, we're we're deep in the weeds it, it's just important not to chase you know, last year's winning formula, you know, in 2017, the move was be way, way, way overweight on running backs. If you drafted five running backs in the 2017 draft class, you probably got a couple titles on your mantelpiece 
from the last few years. You know, you probably got a whole lot of wins, but that doesn't mean that the way to win a dynasty is just to draft a ton of running backs. Um, and I think, you know, that there's a lot of value when people see something work and then they kind of over index on that. There's a lot of value in just doing something completely different because that's, that's being undervalued at the time. Well, it's like we've had two straight years of wide receivers finishing in the top 12, at least in points per game in their first season. And it's like, that's, you know, I don't know when it's due as it were, cause it's not, but that's, that's not common. That's probably not going to keep going. No. I think we should expect slower every rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. People think that there's like these trends, like, Oh, the NFL is a passing league now. Now it's throwing to rookies and there are now it's drafting running backs later. No, right. no, no, right. No. There are, yep. I'm not going to say there are no trends. Like if you look at the right. game in 1954 and you compare it to the game today, it's different. Um, but the trends tend to be very, very, very slow. And insofar as it looks like a trend is happening quickly, odds are it's probably just a random fluctuation in talent. Like it looked like quarterbacks were aging really, really well. No, it's just that the oldest quarterbacks in the NFL right now are Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, guys who could credibly be considered among the top 10 quarterbacks to ever play the game. And top 10 quarterbacks of all time have always aged really, really, really well. That doesn't mean that like this next group is going to age really, really well. Although I would bet on Mahomes aging really, really well. Um, but usually I find most trends... Um, I always say talent is the great confound where you're, you think you're picking up on some meaningful shift, but really you're just picking up on random fluctuations in the talent pool. So uh, basically have a good source of ranks, draft the player that's still on the board in rookie drafts, be aggressive leaning against trends. And we fix dynasty. That's basically how you play dynasty. That's awesome. If you want to win, it helps if you're not emotionally invested. Um, like don't care. Got it. Yeah. Right. Just exactly. Don't care, care less. <laughs> I've, I've been saying that for years. Like, just have the heart of a robot. It's fine. Um, Adam, I can't thank you enough for coming on my uh, unlistened to and very tiny podcast that I keep going on because I know I'm a, I'm a creature of inertia myself. And uh, thanks for telling us how to play Dynasty. I really appreciate it, man. Where, where can people find you as if they didn't know? Uh, on Twitter until it all burns to the ground. I'm at Adam Obviously. Harstad. I'm way too lazy, as has been mentioned several times, to change. So I'll just ride that until it dies. Um, otherwise, all my work is on Football Guys. And I keep a personal blog that I have. I archive everything so you can find links to everything I've done. And that's just adamharstad.com. So that'll be pretty easy. Really appreciate it, Adam. Thanks very much. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. 
Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Peter Numo is the plays, they're analytical.